The following is a recreation of the talk that I gave this past Sunday, the 17th of Tammuz, which is also the yard site of uh, Rabbi Shmuel Yaakov Weinberg, our Rebbe, my father-in-law, um, who uh, uh, spoke often about the various Yomim Tovim of the year and certainly had a lot to say about the three weeks. And this talk was an attempt to uh, reconstruct uh, some of the Torah that he presented, some of the approach that he offered to the three weeks and to Tishabav, since, uh, of course, Shavasar Thomas is the introduction uh, to the three weeks. This period of time is known as Bain HaMetzarim, between the boundaries, the boundaries of, uh, of the 17th of Tammuz and the 9th of Av, also connoting a squeeze. Uh, there's a kind of a, a lack of ability to to breathe, there's oppression. It's a very period, a difficult period of time. So, um, by way of introduction, first of all, it's very difficult to reproduce the Torah of Rabbi Weinberg, particularly in the area of thought, as opposed to um, uh, trying to pra- comprehend a detailed halakhic uh, passage in the Rambam, because uh, much of the impact of Rabbi Weinberg had to do with his presentation, his personality. Uh, his emphatic, clear, decisive uh, intensity, which uh, when you heard him, you just, uh, it was, it was, a, it was a, as much the truth of what he was saying as well as the passion that went behind it. So I don't claim to be able to do that, but I do claim to have an appreciation, a personal appreciation of the difference that his guidance made in these kinds of is- issues to his Tamidim, and I'm going to try to share some of that. Um, so, uh, Rabbi Weinberg's Torah was a whole way of thinking, and it permeated a lot of what we learned. So you may have heard some of these ideas from me almost naturally over the course of years, and that's because it's impossible to know where what he taught us ends and where what I picked up begins. It's all kind of blends together in one big uh, wonderful blur of Torah insights that uh, that were presented to us from Rabbi Weinberg. There are going to be four Torah sources that will be referenced in this talk, um, and I want to just introduce you to them first so that when we get to them in, in the middle of the discussion, they'll kind of fit right in. Um, first is the uh, statement in the Gemara, which is then recorded in the Halacha by the Rambam, that the first Pasuk that a father should teach a son is Torah Tzivalanu Moshe Marashakihilas Yaakov. That Torah was commanded to us by Moshe as an inheritance for the congregation of Yaakov, of Jacob. That's a, a kind of a surprising uh, teaching because uh, if you'd ask the man on the street, what's the first thing that a Jewish child should hear? Uh, one would very reasonably say Shema Yisrael is the first thing he should hear. Hear, O Israel. Hashem is one. That's what we stand for. That's what we hope a Jew will die for. So that's the first source that uh, we'll be referencing. Another source is the Rambam in the Laws of Tshuva and the first chapter of the Laws of Tshuva. Uh, and the Rambam there says that now that we don't have a Beis HaMikdash, we don't have the altar for atonement and therefore, all we have is Ensham El All you have is repentance. Then, in the next breath, literally in the same paragraph, he says, 
Yom Kippur is atonement for those who repent. So that means there is atonement because we still have Yom Kippur. So first he says, um, uh, when we have no Mizbeach Kapara, that we have nothing but repentance. And then he says Yom Kippur uh, offers atonement. So which is it? Do we have atonement or do we not have atonement? So that's an important source that Rabbi Weinberg references. Another uh, source in his Torah uh, is the Rambam's 12th principle. Rabbi Weinberg was, uh, I use the word loosely because I don't like some of the some of the implications of this word, but he was an expert in the Rambam. He specialized in listening to the nuanced presentation of the Rambam and noticing sequence, noticing exact wordage, noticing possible contradictions, resolving them, um, but hearing very carefully, listening very carefully to the delicate use of language that the Rambam specialized in. And uh, he also developed the 12, the 13 principles of faith that the Rambam offers as the outline of the faith system that a Jew is supposed to have. And the 12th principle is, a, is the uh, animamin, what we know is uh, the reformulation by someone later on, the I believe with perfect faith in the coming of the Mashiach, and even though he will tarry, nevertheless I will await him. So uh, that principle, the Rambam says straight openly, that it's not just a question of believing that there'll be a, a Mashiach. It's believing and mitzapelo, and anticipating, yearning, looking forward to it, which means the Rambam is very clear that if a person uh, doesn't anticipate, wait for, yearn for the coming of Mashiach, that is not in consonance with this principle, and he is not in keeping with the principle of faith. So the faith principle itself includes not believing in, but also yearning for Mashiach. The question, of course, is why? Um, and then... Um, the most important of the sources that we're going to reference is the, the statement that it happens to be a statement in the Rishalmi, but it's quoted often by many people in the discussion of Tishab of Kol Shalom Nivna Beis Anybody for whom the Beis anybody in whose generation the Beis was not built is Ke'ilu Nechra It's as if he's destroyed in his day. So that's also a very important Rambam. We'll start with that. Uh, not a Rambam, it's a statement of, of the Gemara Yushalmi, and um, it's uh, referenced very often. Let's start with that. Rabbi Weinberg pointed out that what that statement means is that the having the base of Mikdash is a normative uh, condition. The Jewish people normally, in its healthy state, uh, in, a, uh, in the default position has a Beis HaMikdash. Something has to be wrong not to have it. And therefore, it's not just that you have to earn building the Beis HaMikdash. The statement of the sages is that if the Beis HaMikdash isn't built, that means we're doing something now actively to keep it away because the natural state of affairs is to have it. And if we don't have it, it's not because it once was destroyed and we just haven't gotten around to building it or we haven't earned our way back. It's that we're continuing to uh, have it not be there. It needs uh, something to repel it. The natural state of affairs is there's a Jewish people, there's a Beis HaMikdash. And therefore, we have to understand we're not fasting on the 17th of Tammuz or on Tisha B'Av because we're mourning an ancient event. We're fasting because what is happening now. We are mourning the current situation 
the current destruction. Um, and, uh, and that changes the whole thing because we're no longer just commemorating something that we weren't even around for. Uh, we're actually bemoaning the state of affairs that we're in right now. Um, so uh, what are we doing to block it? What is, what is, what is it that causes the Vesemikdash not to, not to be there? The answer is we are accepting that it's normal to be like everyone else. Bottom line is that we have forgotten the exceptional nature of the Jewish people. We actually think that life is bearable, that as a Jew we can survive okay, we can be okay, the situation here is fine, we'll build our institutions, we'll have our, our, uh, our kosher food, we'll have our Jewish schools, uh, we'll have our activities, we'll have our media, uh, and we'll participate in society as much as we can and still remain Jewish, but basically everything's fine, and it would be nice to have a Mashiach, it would be nice to be back in Israel, it would be nice to have a Beis HaMikdash, it would be nice to have that close relationship, but we're doing fine. The acceptance of the current situation as normal and acceptable is itself the most, um, the, the most uh, uh, powerful reason uh, that we don't have the Beis HaMikdash. That's exactly what the Rambam means in the 12th principle when he says that one has to anticipate and yearn for Mashiach. It's not about belief. It's about being aware of what the Jewish people is supposed to be and seeing the contrast between that awareness and the reality. And so a person who uh, understands what Mashiach is about understands that the Mashiach, the king of the Jewish people, will represent the royalty of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Uh, he will uh, represent a return to the normal position for the Jewish people, which is the leader, really, of humanity, the model for humanity of how it is to relate to God, what it means to relate to God. Um, we've lost the definition of being a Jew, and that's what the 12th principle requires, that we yearn for restoration of the Jew to the Am to being the chosen people. Chosen people doesn't mean chosen to be superior. It means chosen for a special relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, chosen to live a life that demonstrates to everybody what it is to have a God and uh, what it means that there's one God for the entire world. So that's really what we're talking about when the Gemara says and when the Rambam paskins the Halacha that the first thing that a father should teach a son is not Shema, but Torah, Tzivalenu Yaakov, that Moshe taught us the Torah and inheritance for the congregation of Yaakov. That's because we, the, the whole idea of the Torah, it's not just that it's a book that gives us the laws or the mitzvahs, and we have, to, we, we have the book in order to know what to do. The, the idea of the Torah is uh, there's a special relationship. There's, um, there, there, and in addition to the requirement to know Torah, there's just the idea that we have Torah. Uh, and Rabbi Weinberg explained it this way. Uh, there are several blessings before the study of Torah every day. If you look in the Siddur, uh, you'll see there are really three blessings. And the Gemara in Brachas goes through uh, these blessings. And the Gemara states that the Bracha of Asher Bacharbanu Mikalu Amim, who chose us from all the nations, and gave us his Torah, that's the Muvchar Shavu Brachas. That's the best, that's the most, not the best, but the, the most significant one. There's another bracha that the Gemara discussed that we also recite, which is Asher Kiddushanu B'mitzvah Savat Sivanu, the same formulation before the performance of any mitzvah, 
here we're performing the mitzvah of Torah study, so we have a mitzvah bracha. To be immersed, to be involved in the words of Torah. That is not considered to be the highest level of a blessing. Meaning, that take for example the position of the Ramban Nachmanides, who uh, holds that uh, making a bracha before the study of Torah is actually a Torah requirement based on his interpretation of the Gemara uh, in a couple of places. So the Ramban says that the blessing that the Torah envisions you making before you study Torah is not the bracha of I'm about to do a mitzvah. It's the bracha that states you, God, have chosen us from all the nations. So that's the whole point. Our avoda, our spiritual mission, our spiritual toil, our spiritual creativity, the what we're supposed to accomplish on the 17th of Thomas and during the three weeks is to embrace our closeness. And there is one way to do that, and that's the embracing of Torah and the study of Torah as a way of, not as a way, as the way of uh, embracing the closeness, the chosenness, the connection, the intimate relationship that we have with, with, with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Now, Rabbi Weinberg um, used to talk about the uh, various days on the Jewish calendar, and uh, partic- with particular focus on the on the days that are Durabanan, on Hanukkah and Purim, and on fast days. Um, and he would point out, as we all know, that uh, calendar day, 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 uh, celebrations in the Jewish calendar are not commemorations of events. It's not that we remember that God once took us out of Egypt. It's not that we remember that God once gave us the Torah. It's not that we remember that we sat in booths. It's that these are periods of time that we uh, invest in and study about and absorb spiritually the reality of these relationships. So Pesach, Zman Cheresenu, is not the time of our obtaining freedom back then. Zman Cheresenu is the time in which we practice Cheres, so that we leave Pesach having that freedom relationship with Hashem all year long. And Sukkot is not the time that we experience joy for a week. Zman Simchasein is the time of our joy. It doesn't mean that week we're joyous, then we go back to normal, miserable living. Uh, it means it's a time when we practice relating to Hashem through the dimension of joy so that we can take that with us all year long. These are stations where we invest in certain dimensions of a relationship with Hashem that are meant to teach us something for all year. Similarly, the rabbinic holidays, Purim and Hanukkah, for example, are not commemorations of miraculous events. They are recognition by the rabbis that these events gave us the power to be able to endure our exile experience. Purim is the yomtiv in which we study and immerse ourselves in the Purim miracle so that we now understand how to exist while God's face is hidden, where we don't see God overtly the way we did when we lived in Eretz Yisrael in, with Yerushalayim, with the Beis HaMikdash, with overt uh, closeness, with, with obvious closeness and connection to Hashem. Purim gives us that power. Hanukkah is the Yom Tov where we learn how to survive the, uh, the cultural onslaught of uh, Greek philosophy, which is still alive and well, and um, still seeks to conquer and capture the souls of the Jews. Uh, it's a very alluring 
philosophy and culture. So Hanukkah gives us the ability to combat that. So these are days that the rabbis instituted to empower us with the basic tools necessary to be able to survive the exile experience. Similarly, the three weeks in Tisha B'Av are the same thing. There are times that are not just set aside to mourn and honor the memories of the victims of the Khorban or the victims of the Chalmanitsky massacres or the Holocaust or the pogroms or the Crusades or the Warsaw Ghetto or, or any of the other tragedies that, that basically saturate Jewish history. These are days that are set aside to, uh, to overcome, to compensate, to, to undo the damage that do, that's done without a base HaMikdash. So the answer to the state of affairs that we're in is mourning. When we undertake to mourn, when we are reminded through the laws that restrict us from certain joyous and pleasurable things, when we are reminded that we are in a state of mourning, that undertaking actually restores us, to to borrow the term, restores us to sanity, restores us to the awareness that we're not living in the state that is designed for the Jewish people and for Jews individually. That's where the Rambam that we referenced before from the laws of tshuva comes in. The Rambam there is not talking about um, fast days. He's not talking about any day. He's not even talking about Yom Kippur. He's just talking about repentance. The Rambam there says, nowadays, when we don't have an altar for atonement, all we have is tshuva. And then he goes on and says, and Yom Kippur provides atonement. Meaning, the Rambam is telling us that there's two kinds of work. There's the kind of work where you come through your own intellectual awareness, through your own introspection, through your own contemplation, and through your own gut-wrenching work. You realize the error of your ways and you repair that. That that kind of a thing we don't have because we don't bring sacrifices and therefore we don't have the experience of coming as a sinner to the Beis HaMikdash and recognizing that my life really depends on my relationship with Hashem and I did damage to it. And what does it mean to bring a sacrifice? What does it mean to be a repentant, a penitent? That that we don't have. But of course we have the Kapara, we have the atonement of Yom Kippur. And of course Yom Kippur requires us to repent, but it's not the same kind of work. It's an outside circumstance working upon us. The, so Rabbi Weinberg therefore develops the idea that there is a kind of, re, of a repentance that comes from the inside. Um, so there's an enormous, dif, enormous difference between the atonement of Yom Kippur and the atonement that comes when a person would bring a sacrifice. And therefore the same kind of idea comes on, Yom, on uh, Tisha B'Av. The idea leading up to Tisha B'Av, the morning and, and, the, and the fasting, all of that, that's the role of wailing and crying, is to allow oneself to absorb the devastation and the departure from normal. So, Ben Weinberg used to say, and he said this often, and I heard it on a recording uh, uh, of one of his talks, Ben Weinberg used to say, if ever there was a need for a Tisha B'Av from the time of the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash 2,000 years ago till today, there is today. There's no greater need for a Tisha B'Av than there is today, where we have somehow made it okay to absorb the music of the culture around us, the clothing of the culture around us, the attitudes. And he used to focus on the issue of, of competition. The following of sports, he says, is an insidious invasion of the Jewish mind. He says the whole idea of sports as we know it in this country is somebody being better than somebody else. 
the way that you succeed is by stabbing the other person in the back. He sees a home run as a defeat of somebody else. That's how you measure success. And as opposed to the Jewish idea of success, that has nothing to do with comparison, and nobody has to lose in order for you to succeed. And that idea is so basic. It's so, it's so well uh, um, embedded in our psyche that we, we actually think that Rabbi Weinberg is a little bit extremist over here. But his point is that that's what the Greek culture was all about, was competition. And competition itself uh, requires somebody else to lose. And it's not just that somebody loses, it's that it's not an internal thing. You don't develop yourself in order to be able to be a better person. You develop yourself in order to be better than the person next to you. You don't develop your body in order to use it to serve God. You develop your body so that your body is better than somebody else's body. It's a whole different slant. And he uses that as an example of how we have absorbed the attitude around us. And the best and most powerful kind of absorption is when you don't even know it, when you can't even see it. So. If you are struggling with this and you're, you're wrinkling your forehead and going, huh, that's so bad, that's because we just don't get it. We don't get how we're not thinking like a Jew. So Rabbi Weinberg used to point out that the Jewish people will always be reminded that they are unique. It will either come through our own self-reminding, where we'll undertake a three weeks in a Tisha B'Av and we'll contemplate our difference, our uniqueness, and our mission, or we'll be reminded by the world around us that the world around us will never accept us and will always um, treat us as alien because we are. We actually aren't meant and designed to be of the world, part and parcel of the world. We're designed to be the Am HaNivchar. And uh, he would say ominously that we have to really decide um, how we're going to be reminded. It's up to us really to take the three weeks seriously and to use it to absorb and contemplate how different we are. Um, so uh, that's really what Rabbi Weinberg spoke about. This is how his, his approach was. Um, he, we, he would point out that it's not, we're not keeping Torah. We're not observing. We're not regular people, but we have limitations on how we do business because we have to be honest. We're regular people, but we have limitations on what we eat because we have to keep kosher. We're regular people, but we have certain things we have to do with certain parts of our time at once every seven days on Yom Tov. It's, and we're not keeping Torah in our life. It is our life. It's a difference in the very being that we are. Uh, that's what we're all about. And um, we have to understand that, understand how different that makes us and how, uh, you, how special is our mission. Uh, this is exactly what Hashem wants from us, and this is what we're supposed to be accomplishing during this period of time.